Walt Whitman said, I am large, I contain multitudes. And it's true. Our minds are vast. They have ample room for contradictions. But we're also finite, fragile creatures. And so it is good that some things are lost to time. In making room for growth, we must accept that some parts of the multitude go and embrace the void. void quite calming actually. It's like, this time the Xanax took me. Your sense of self is crumbling and it's taking the void down with it. It's like I'm in a black void trying to reach the news story. This concept of morality is a very interesting human characteristic. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, you can taste and see. Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 90 of Embrace the Void. Hashtag no spoilers. I'm your host, Aaron. And with me until one of us does or does not die gloriously in battle is my co-host GW. How you doing, G-Dubs? If by battle do you mean that you shout out a spoiler while people are waiting in line for a movie, then you get your ass beat? You get beat? No, yeah, that's exactly right, right? That would be, that would not be dying gloriously, that would be ignominiously in battle, right? You have to die I, honorably. It does. It does sort of like, you know, those videos that like restore your faith in humanity. This definitely oh does the exact opposite. Yeah. Not a actual great moment. Pers- actual person in a trolley way, like shouted out some ending, which we won't say because I'm afraid I'll get beat. <laughs> and, and, well, <laughs> and people we're, were waiting monsters. in line to go see Endgame and uh, got beat the hell up by a couple of people. Yeah. Pretty ridiculous. No, no good individuals involved in any of this process um, in terms of the way that ended up working out. But yeah, unfortunate. Um, so, yeah, other than, than that bit of unhappiness, how's things? Things are going well. I hear you have an update for us on, on your fun, uh, voidy, <laughs> voidy heat baning. Yes, I finally uh, settled the case of the... Um, pipe demons uh so i figured we'd start today by talking about that and then talk a little bit about politics because there's been a little bit going on in the political landscape just um, a few things just yeah a little bit. but maybe we'll maybe we'll start with the personal so um yeah so i settled the case it's um you know it was it was a stressful very voidy situation i'll be honest it was a good reminder for me that I'm really happy that I went into philosophy and not law. Like there's a lot of horror and, and depressing things that I experience in my day-to-day life as a ethical philosopher. Um, but I feel like it still pales in comparison to what goes on on, on, on an average day in any legal setting. So kudos to those folks who are surviving that experience and, and the things that they are coping with. Um, yeah, for sure. But it was like, you know, so what happened was, you know, we got 
summoned for what was effectively an eviction hearing because we had refused to pay rent. Um, and so we showed up and on the first day that we showed up, the lawyer for our landlord had, uh, had some sort of emergency and wasn't there and was being covered by someone else, another lawyer, uh, who was not particularly friendly, uh, as you might imagine, and was not particularly happy <laughs> that he was covering twice the caseload. Uh, and so we ended up just sitting there from like eight, you know, eight thirty until, uh, two or so and three or so when they realized that like they weren't even going to get to our case because this person was so overloaded that like they just had to adjourn it for the next week um so that was you know like a day wasted during which time like there was a lot of stress of trying to negotiate with these people and like because the guy had no idea what was going on he couldn't do any kind of reasonable negotiating um i do think it's i do think it's fairly poetic that like this whole case was based around you waiting on them and then you had to wait on them one more time. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's one of the many examples in which this system is heavily slanted towards the um, landlords. Cause it's like, if we had had an emergency and we hadn't shown up, there would have been a summary dismissal against us effectively. But yeah. like the lawyers and the, you know, sort of well-interested individuals, um, can essentially avoid that problem by paying someone else to be there for them um so that was frustrating um and so we like we lost a day and then we i I went back the next week uh and lou had to go to an appointment so she couldn't be there so it was also frustrating that like it meant that i couldn't go to that appointment with her um and instead was there and and their lawyer was back and like and she had had some sort of injury. She had her one of her arms in a sling. Um, and, you know, like she wait, was still wait, not she, particularly nice. Yeah. She who? You mean Lou or, or the lawyer? No, the lawyer. The lawyer oh, for okay. the landlords. Um, I see. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she, you know, so we went through the process, which is like essentially trying to haggle out some sort of settlement. And if not, you go to mediation. And if mediation doesn't work, you end up in court. Um, and so her opening offer was 5% rent abatement for the period that we had been dealing with the problem and our security deposit back in full, um, when we move out and we sort of counter offered at like 20% and, Uh, We went back and forth for a while, and then by the time it went to mediation, there was like it was just going to end up at 10%, or she was going to try to fight us in court. And my suspicion was like, even though by a reasonable perspective, I feel like you know it's an example of a really bad situation for a landlord, um, it was not necessarily going to be one that we could prove um, under the current legal precedents. Uh, violated habitability sufficiently so i was i was worried sure. that we, like we would end up going to court and like she would be able to win in that sense um so we ended up settling yeah, because they because they have evidence that you didn't pay your full rent but it it's difficult the evidence that uh, they didn't solve the problem is a difficult one to sort of prove yeah and while i did sense. have 
evidence to present. I, I suspected that it was not going to go in our favor ultimately. Um, and I, uh, Lou actually was doing some research, even though she wasn't there. And um, sort of as I was figuring out this settlement, she was sending me some stuff about um, the, the. We found out that this group is part of a mega landlord conglomerate that's like three different companies that are like you know a lot of the the uh, landlord stuff these days is often run through these sort of effectively shell companies to like defer out and like make it harder for people to address problems like this and like these folks are involved in a bunch of what appear to be like class action suits where they've been aggressively trying to push out um tenants in stabilized rent so that they can jack up the prices they've been sure. refusing to um resolve and you can find all of this stuff online like they've been refusing to resolve um or deal with uh, like way worse situations like our, our situation was terrible like it fucking sucked but like I, I met some people while we were sitting in court who like hadn't had heat half the time over the course of the winter or Oof. like you know there are people who are suffering from really severe like animal and bug infestations and like we've had a bunch of trash in our hallways that isn't getting addressed and that seems to be a prevalent thing with these folks as well so they're just they're they're very quintessential kinds of slumlords it seems like um so the good news is we you know hassled them some we ended up getting some amount of compensation for our troubles we are guaranteed our security deposit back so we'll be free and clear of these people when we move out we have a place that we're moving to at the end of may and we've got it all scheduled so like we're on on the track to getting away from this but it has been like a very voidy kafkaesque experience of like yep this is why a lot of people are like landlords are a huge problem and i'm like you know, I'm a little more moderate. Like, I'm okay with, like, the idea of someone who wants to rent space to people at a reasonable price and take care of it. Because not everyone wants to own or is in a good position or, like, would benefit from owning something at some point in time. But, like, sure. these these are clearly, like, uh, you know, some pretty terrible fucking people. Um, so, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I hope that these, no, these folks rough. are able to, like, effectively... Um, enact some change with the tenant landlord laws and make it so that it's harder for these kinds of people to force folks out in these kinds of ways. Um, you know, well, and like, I mean, and you can probably hope that like if, if they are doing this or these sorts of things to a lot of people, right, all that adds up and the judges who are seeing the same company over and over again, it starts to pile up. And especially with the class action law lawsuit, it puts a lot of favor in in their court because they're like, yeah, we've been hearing a lot from you guys. I mean, we've had a lot of cases where people have come in and you haven't been doing it. So there is sufficient evidence in the public record of of people having problems with you. So, mm -hmm. yeah, hopefully but it's just, your it's, case contributed to that. Yeah, it's just really hard for me. Like I, you know, for everything we do on here, I do tend towards optimism and believing that systems can help people to make progress and it is really hard to look at the realities of these kinds of systems and realize how bad things are and like how far it is to go and how 
you know, how many people are be are suffering every day because of these kinds of problems. Um, and it's, you know, sure. I, I would struggle with it if I was in that world any more than I was. And I was there for two days. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad it's finally behind you and hopefully when you move out, it'll be totally behind you and we'll laugh about this. Someday. Yeah, it's been ridiculous. The The weather's been like better, but like it, sometimes it's been down to like 50 and they keep turning the heat on when it doesn't need to come on. And so it's just like for no reason now I just have to deal with banging sometimes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll turn off eventually and uh, we will get out of here and the next place we're living is not um, old and terrible. And yeah, I'm going to have it. We're going to have a two bedroom. So we'll have a better recording space and stuff too. So, no, very cool. Yeah, it's going to be good. And maybe it's someday we still got to like look for a final place and then hopefully a puppy. Those those are the life goals (laughs) at this point. Um, And then puppy. And then puppy. That's that's pretty much the the step three of all of my plans at this point. No, step it's not one, profit. Step, step two question mark. Step three puppy. No, <laughs> different different p word. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Shall we go from private void to public void? Absolutely. So let's see who who are all the folks that are in the running. There's. Obviously, Joe Biden. I am not naming 18 people, but thank you. Yeah, I know, right? Do you mean like people who are in like the reasonable running? Yeah, I'm trying to think of them. So there's Biden. There's There's uh, um, Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory. Is it Booker? Cory Booker, Mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, Pete (laughs) Buttigieg. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Mayor Pete. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mayor Uh Pete. Uh, Uh, I I feel like I'm missing someone. Bernie. Yes. And um, he said Warren Harris. Uh, Klobuchar is still technically in it. Um, I don't even know who that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Andrew Yang is still technically in it. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, Beto O'Rourke is still technically in it. Um, oh, right. But yeah. like, I think you got most of the like top tier likely to be involved in the ticket at the end of this kinds of individuals. The people that will actually be invited to the debates. Yeah. And yeah, and there's been a lot of coverage of this. Um, and so I want to talk about it because I care, you know, we, we both care a lot about politics and this show has been politics as well as philosophy oriented because really they're sort of inseparable. Um, and yeah. like, I want to sort of lay out a couple of markers because we're going to start to get into uh, the dark times. I don't know if you've, I mean, when I, when I look at like politics on Twitter, it's just like horrible story after horrible story when it comes to the Democratic primary right now, because it's like, you know, here's Joe Biden saying something really depressingly centrist and terrible combined with yet another poll showing that he's like 30% or something in the polls compared to other people. Um, so, so I heard yeah. that he like sat down with Anita Hill. I don't know if he actually sat down with her or just talked to her on the phone or whatever. To like apologized her and she like didn't accept his apology yeah because i said he said something more like i'm sorry that people did this to you rather than i'm sorry that i did this to you so let's yeah. um I, I wanted to start by saying like let's divide this conversation a little bit um because some folks i think do struggle sometimes and it's fair because they're interconnected but like struggle to distinguish between sort of prescriptive claims about who we think 
ought to be the nominee and why versus sort of descriptive claims of like who we think is more likely to become the nominee. So like one is a moral question. The other is more of a like empirical slash strategic kind of question. And like, I think there's been a lot of good folks pointing out that there's a little too much focus a lot of the time on the descriptive side in terms of like horse race and can X or Y person really achieve X or Y and stuff like that. So maybe be better for us to start and like frontline the prescriptive discussion, like who, who do you and I think should be the nominee? And then we can talk about like, and but descriptively, do we need to like mitigate that in some way? Yeah, I, um, it's a good, I think that's a great way to put it. I think like if I had to say my, top three in the prescriptive way of like who I think should get it in no specific order. Uh, I think it's definitely Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and trying to think of who my third would be. It's definitely not Biden. I'm sort of split between Booker and Harris. I like both of them a lot. Uh, And I think both of them have done a lot of good. I mean, I probably would lean a bit more Booker only because I know more of what he's done uh, Mm -hmm. and less of what Harris has done. Not that that's necessarily fair. That's not fully prescriptive, but Uh that's what my instinct says. I mean, you you know, in the sense that like, you know, you can say more confidently that you you would prescribe someone voting for that person um, or you think that 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 person is a good person. In, in a in a sense of what we're trying to aim for rather than who might necessarily immediately be the best bet for winning or something um yeah. i mean i'll be really honest and i'm, I'm gonna like oh, i might anger some people in this but like i You're gonna say trump <laughs> yeah i'm pro trump i'm i'm switching teams just to sell out now and make a bunch of money um no it's it's for me it's harris and warren are the people that I want to have a conversation about and between like, those are the two most interesting candidates. And part of it is because, you know, I think there are a couple of viable people who I think would make good presidents. And that's my first answer to like, my first question that I want to answer for myself is who do I think makes a good president? And I, I, you know, I genuinely think that if you're honest about um age age ranges um bernie and biden are not the right age range for us at this point and they're substantially older than trump and that's significant it matters at the age that they're at like they're at 76 or 75 or something like that like you're talking about not 72 you're talking about someone who's going to be in their 80s while in office potentially which i think is a is an issue um, that that you know it would pull us in a in, not in the ideal direction. Um, and again, you know, I think we should frontline also by saying that I assume both of us are going to vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is over Trump, obviously. But yeah. like we're talking about who we prefer. So this is this is something that I prefer partly because, and it's not just you know I want to sort of avoid the objection of ageism here, right? Like it's not just ageism. I think. Part of it is uh, understanding um, the realities of neuroplasticity, and part of it is 
there's good evidence that they are um, off base on certain important current issues that are largely generational in nature. That like, especially when you look at what Biden has said in the the week or so since he has announced um, that it's just it's a series of of really tone deaf things, like even more tone deaf than Hillary, I think, often was when it comes to talking about the issues of under 35 people, especially. Um, so that's that's why I, I, I think guess, the age thing matters. I guess I would respectfully disagree in that I think. Um. One of the things I really like about Bernie specifically, because you brought him up, Mm -hmm. is I think he does a really good job of listening. And I think he does a really good job of taking in what other people are saying. And and so I I would, my counter to that would be that for someone that may not have the uh, biological capacity to come up with new ideas or the biological capacity to know exactly what the right thing is, I think what he does know is to listen to other people. I, I guess and no, like I'll, I'll say that I put Bernie above Biden at this point in terms of the fact that like they're comparable on the age issue and Bernie is better on the politics at this point and better on the policy. And I I do value the, that as a difference. There There are some substantial concerns when it comes to both sexism and like racial tone deafness when it comes to the Bernie campaign last time around and there's some concern that it's continued somewhat and like but again like Mm, i I haven't heard any of that so i'd be i'd be interested to hear yeah i mean it's just like there there was some feeling of a kind of um uh hostility against women culture a little bit in the previous campaign um and and also that he just didn't do particularly well with people of color and that I think that is very running. not true. I, I, I mean, think he actually did the best. I mean, the, the when he was running, the pictures of him marching with MLK like resurfaced and him talk and him pushing for civil rights and things like that, I think resurfaced mm-hmm. of things in his past. And, you know, uh, um, uh, Killer Mike was on real time multiple times and, and Fox News mm-hmm. and a few other things as a huge Bernie supporter. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying that he can't he can't fix this issue like i agree with you that like and i mean maybe i'm wrong about the statistics maybe i'm wrong about the numbers too my understanding was he underperformed some with those demographics but but like i i can't nate silver it and make it up off the top of my head to be honest um yeah so like and, and like truthfully biden and bernie despite being old white guys could likely still do a decent, maybe a decent job of turning out a decent portion of minority voters. You know, in theory, if Biden becomes the nominee, he's going to have Obama out there pushing for him. Um, But he has, to his detriment, a long time of, you know, issues with things like um, the war on drugs and, um, you know, just crime, crime stuff in general, essentially. Um so like you know he's a bit of a third way guy sometimes so it's hard uh but like they're not my first choices and conversely on the other side of the spectrum you've got like mayor pete who is good but not perfect there are a couple of issues as well with him like tacking a little bit center in ways like i don't have anything against a democratic 
individual who wants to be more centrist. Like my, my first pick, I'll be honest, is is Harris. And Harris to me is more centrist than Warren. But it's yeah. a it's a difference in how you achieve that kind of center position, I think. And I just feel like the the sort of hard decisions that folks like Biden and um Buttigieg have signaled to me are not the right way to make the hard choices the way that I feel like, you know, one of the major knocks against Harris is uh, she was hard on parents when it came to truancy and that some parents ended up in, in essentially that she was hard on low income individuals in various ways when she was a uh, prosecuting attorney um, for the state uh, attorney general, sure. I think. Right. So. um but at the same time, like when I listen to her talk about that stuff, when I've heard interviews with her talking about the truancy thing, like, um, you know, she talks about the exact same problem that I've experienced in my own classroom, which is distinguishing between the students who miss two or three classes, but are mostly fine or miss four and five classes, but are mostly fine. But like, as opposed to the students who are missing 10 and 15 classes and like, right. The way she sees what she was working on was trying to find a way to address those students who are missing the, the 10 and 15 plus without sort of focusing on the ones that are missing three and four, essentially. And like she expresses regret. Uh, I mean, like, again, you know, these people are paid actors. So, like, I'm, I'm not <laughs> I'm not being doughy eyed about this, but like she, she at least, you know, says that she regrets that parents were criminalized that like that was not the goal of what she was trying to do um i guess what i will say what i would say is her evolutionary track as she moves from a person of color trying to work in a situation where she probably had to be more tough on people in order to functionally survive in that system her evolutionary track seems to be moving towards reform of the criminal justice system and recognizing the problems within that system. And that's where I want to see yeah. our party going. I think my only hesitation with Harris is I think mm. it, all the things I've seen where she has uh, been in some congressional hearing, uh, I think she is phenomenal when she's like had to question people from Facebook or question mm -hmm. like, and you know, all of her prosecutors, prosecutorial experience shines with stuff like that my mm -hmm. only concern which could easily be mitigated is i don't know what she stands for i don't know like what her policy ideas are and so my only concern mm -hmm. is that she would be she is a fantastic lawyer but not someone who generates amazing ideas but yeah i could well, be wrong so i could be a hundred percent wrong about that and she does but i haven't heard it well, yeah. So, I mean, she hasn't been quite as forward as I mean, quite quite as sort of um, prolific as Warren, who's laid out a million great plans. And I think is, really, yeah. you know, like should be getting a lot more attention for the fact that like her plans are well, much more thought out than probably almost anyone. I mean, I think Warren like Warren's main plan that I really like is um She's doing she's talking about uh, raising pay for teachers, um, mm -hmm. which is, I think, both a really good um, ethical choice and a really good tactical choice in the yeah. sense that, you know, one of the major issues that we need to face in our society that will have very good downstream implications if we can address it is 
paying teachers more and increasing the quality of teachers as a result and increasing people's interest in staying and teaching long term, um, not having lower turnover rates itself. Um, I, I think and this is why if, if we could slowly start crossing over to the descriptive, I mm-hmm. I think prescriptively, I like Warren the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if there was a primary right now where I had to vote for any for my options were all these people, Warren would probably be my number one. And mm-hmm. I also think she is probably the best candidate of the options to beat Trump, mostly mm. because I think with all of our current like economic issues, she's someone who clearly has a lot of economic experience uh-huh. and has a lot of really, really good economic ideas. And I think she does a, a phenomenal job of explaining these complex things to everyday people and i think she has mm-hmm. the potential to bring people who are like maybe they voted for trump before right because they were tired of the system not because specifically they liked him uh that i i could imagine her bringing people who are on the line or maybe people who are uh longtime republicans who don't like trump but when faced with someone like joe biden they're like oh i don't want to fucking vote for that guy so they'd vote for Trump again. And so I I think that potentially she has the, uh, and I have no data to back this up. My instinct says that she is the most likely candidate to beat Trump. Yeah, I mean, I think I worry a little bit about how it's it's so hard and this like when we get into the descriptive we have to i think bracket the whole conversation by being like there's no way to have a conversation about who's most likely to be trump without talking about the gender dynamics in this race that like i think it's fair to say if warren were male she would be the front runner right now like she has vastly more thought out plans than almost anyone like she's you know, just done a really good job, I think, laying her stuff out. But I do think that there is an issue with her and with Harris on the descriptive side, which is, you know, there's still some people who struggle to vote for a woman. Like we've seen, we saw in 2016, people were like, I would happily vote for Warren, but I won't vote for Hillary. And there's a little concern, I think, that like what we're now seeing is the very kind of expected, oh, but I actually have a bit of a problem voting for Warren, too, it turns out. You know, so like, I don't think that's a reason not to nominate them. I just think that it's it's part of something that we need to be aware of on the descriptive side, just like we need to be aware that like race is part of it on the descriptive. And like, I'll be honest with you, on the prescriptive side, I want a woman of color. Like the reason that part of the reason that I I slightly favor Harris over Warren, even though I would happily have either of them for president, is that I would rather see it be a, a woman of color. I think that that does matter when you have multiple competent applicants for a position. Um, I you know I think representation matters. So I, I realize that some people will think that that is morally abhorrent, but I think it is. Uh, better to be honest about it than pretend that like that's not an important factor when it is yeah i think it's definitely an important factor i mean ultimately i want the person that's gonna win like i I want the person that's gonna beat trump like that's that's what matters most to me 
Yeah, and I mean, I think that, like, there's an interesting debate about, is it better to move from, here's what we think the party needs to be doing, and if we do those things, like, here's what we think the party should care about, and if the party cares about those things in the right way, that'll be the best path to victory, or if it's, like, focus on the tactics and move from the tactics to what is, what the party should be saying, and I, you know, you get a balance of the two, obviously, but I lean towards letting the prescriptive lead the descriptive here a little bit. Sure. Yeah, no, right. and 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 maybe I, I need to uh, go into more about what I mean by that. Is yeah, I wasn't necessarily I'm, disagreeing with you. I was, yeah, sure. I was maybe no, 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 totally. what you're it, it just made me realize that like what I said didn't, was not exactly what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I, what I meant, what I mean is that like, I just want someone to fucking beat Trump, right? That's mm-hmm. ultimately what I want, but mm-hmm. I'm still going to vote for the person I think is, the best suited for the job, not the most electable, yeah. right? So I'm still, I, and this could change as as we move forward. Like at this point, at this moment in time, uh, Elizabeth Warren is my favorite sort of person in terms of who I think uh, uh, I agree in terms of like policy, in terms of like ideas, I like hers the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, and, you know, and so for, for me, it's not about that she's a woman or that she's not a man, that she's not a white man. And that's just me personally. Uh, it just so happens that she's amazing and is a woman. <laughs> yeah. I guess that makes what I, sense. Yeah. No, I guess my, my, you know, that makes sense. My line of reasoning is um, I think all of them have a plausible story about how they can beat Trump. And we don't know what the way to beat Trump is until someone does it. So True. I think on that question, I don't have enough data to tell. And you know, I don't think anyone has enough data to say who's the person that can beat Trump. So I set that question aside. Right. And then I think, um, well, let, let you me, know, let me ask you this. So if um, the thing that concerns me, like with Joe Biden is a I like Joe Biden a lot. Let me preface with all of that by saying I like him mm-hmm. a lot because I thought he was a phenomenal uh, VP pick. Uh, even in uh, the running when when Obama picked Biden, I thought he was the perfect choice because the criticisms of Obama were he was inexperienced and mm-hmm. Biden brought that experience, especially foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I thought he was perfect for that. Uh, the problem or the thing that scares me about Biden is that he seems to he seems to be the DNC pick. And mm. I am very nervous about the dnc because of the bullshit they pulled over with bernie right mm-hmm. like it was very clear that the dnc wanted hillary regardless of anything and they pulled a lot of bullshit to make that happen and it's and it gave us trump right well uh, i mean i think that's a little complicated because i don't necessarily think that bernie would have won like for like the, I, I, don't, I mean i don't think to we be can fair, know. to be fair before things went super south for him the polls were saying he was way more electable than hillary was and, and against this is, trump this is why I really do think that, like, I have to set aside the question of electability. I don't know that Bernie would have won then. I don't know that Bernie can win against Trump now. Like, mm-hmm. but I don't know that any of these particular candidates can win against Trump. I think all of them, in a sense, have a reasonable chance. So, like, I set that sure. aside, yeah, right? And, like, the, the other thing that I wanted to um, set aside was competence. You know, like, people want to say, I want the most competent candidate. I think anyone 
in the Democratic Party right now. Like anyone relative to Trump, all of them are more confident. Right. But even even relative to Jeb Bush or something, right? Even relative to like some mediocre hack who's also a you know like a GOP candidate. And like, you know, the, the the middle of the road GOP hack is what I'm saying. Like, they're still better True. than those people. Like even Mayor Pete, who I think needs another four years before he can be like, he'd be a good VP pick. Right. If, you know, so here's my feeling. I want it to be Harris or Warren. And I don't necessarily want it to be Harris Warren because I feel like either of them would be a little bit underutilized potentially in the VP position, whereas either of yes. them could continue to be substantial leaders in the Senate if they didn't end up with the position. Whereas someone yeah, like, yes. yeah, you know, someone yeah, like Mayor I, sorry, just interject. Yeah. I, uh, you know, back when Hillary was running, there was talks of maybe Elizabeth being the VP. And I was one of the few people who was like, no. And, and my answer was always no, because Elizabeth Warren is amazing in the Senate. And as a VP, she wouldn't have the authority or the power to do much. Not that right. not that Hillary wouldn't utilize her. I'm not saying that. I just think that like the amount of good that she does as a senator is vastly more than as a VP or would yeah. have been. Yeah. Or like, you know, honestly, having her take a round in a cabinet position or something could theoretically be a better use of her time and effectiveness and expertise. Um, whereas like you know, you want to start skilling up the people who are going to be the next generation after that group. And that's folks like Pete. So, like, that's a reasonable pick for, like, a VP position where, you know, like, if it were Harris-Pete, it balances the ticket in terms of various demographics. It would balance the ticket potentially. Or, you know, Booker's another v good VP pick, I think, because he might balance the ticket in terms of sort of... um uh, style a little bit so like Harris to me comes off as sort of very sharp and very smart and like same thing with Warren like they they seem very uh competent um and Booker is too but Booker often is is sort of playing a like really big lovey kind of picture his his style of of campaigning he has the is the most passion he has a lot of passion and sort of like universalized love kind of feel, which I think is a good sort of thing when you're like you're the VP and it's your job to just be like getting everybody's mood up all the time. Right. Like Biden was a great VP in the sense that like he was crazy Joe and could sort of keep people's moods up some in that kind of way. Yeah. Well, I think he also did a lot of good in that, like mm -hmm. uh, Obama you know, talked to him a lot about stuff, especially foreign policy related. And I just feel like um, with this, like I said before, right, with the state of the economy right now and where things are going, it just, I feel like a really strong president with a really strong economic background would mm -hmm. be the best choice for the country. Mm -hmm. And I think in my eyes, that is Warren. I, I mean, I certainly agree in the sense that like, you know, so so one thing I mentioned about Harris was tactically speaking, I think her move to target teacher pay is smart because she knows that the people that she needs to tie up real tight if she's going to win against Trump are suburban white women. Right. Like she needs to pull yeah. them away from the GOP and talking about educational bread and butter issues like that is a very 
smart move. So I think she's got some good experts on her side. But I think if we're being honest, Warren clearly has the strongest stable of experts who are laying out really good, complicated policy strategies that are paid for that like she can answer questions like how do you pay for it and that's an advantage hopefully right like we're going to find out if it's an advantage or we're going to you know we're going to find out in the voidy timeline that like the person with the well thought out strategy still loses to like someone who's clearly less thoughtful but more viewed as traditionally electable where that codes for viewed as more of a certain type of people yeah. <laughs> so, um, should That's we hit it. up the Mueller report a little bit before we run out of time? Absolutely. Let's do some yodeling. How, how are you feeling about the Mueller report? What is your uh, takeaway? That's it's been an interesting roller coaster. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, the summary thing came out that bar that bar did, and I was like, "There's does anyone the not actually summary?" summary. Bo- yeah, I was like, does anyone actually believe that that's an accurate thing? I, I don't know. I thought there was too much attention paid to it uh, in the sense of like people saying, uh-huh. oh, well, that's definitely what it is. It's like, well, clearly it's not going to be. Let's just fucking wait. So uh, I, I knew yes. I knew it was like the whole thing was going to come out, obviously, with redactions for legal reasons. Um, you know, of the one thing that Barr said in his little like like press meeting about his uh, summary. I thought the one thing that he said that was appropriate, and I think I'm glad he said it was, you know, the only redactions are going to be things that legally we are required to remove because it's grand jury testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm glad that he said or that ongoing because, investigations. Right. Uh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad he said that as a like. Yes, there's going to be redactions, and that's and so then later. If if there are too many redactions and for the few Congress people that can actually read the full unredacted thing, um, uh, sans the the grand jury uh, uh, parts, they'll be able to go to a judge and go like there are way more redactions here. And if that happens, like if let's just hypothetically say that there was a lot more redactions than actually were necessary. Mm-hmm. Right. That's where a judge could be like, um, nope, you need to you have a I think a. They said this on opening arguments, which I, I like the way they put it was, no, you have a week to get your shit together or I'm going to release the whole thing unredacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think it 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 was such an egg on the face moment where now that people are starting to analyze this whole thing and quotes are starting to be pulled from them. Uh, I, I think it's. Um, I mm, let me say this. A lot of people started criticizing Mueller for not coming out and just saying uh you know yes or no on the on the a question of oh my God, what's the fuck's word obstruction thank you mm-hmm. uh that you know a lot of people came down on Mueller because he didn't come down on the question of obstruction and i think that it was actually the right move which i know isn't a popular opinion um mm-hmm. because i think if he would have made that claim uh then again they would have made him to be the bad guy in some way, right? Or made him to be the hero in some way. And it would have taken the power away from Congress's ability to act act on it. I, I would have liked it if he had been a little more explicit in that. Like, it was a little tortured in his rhetoric in terms of we haven't found evidence that he, you know, that, it, that sort of uh, removes the concern. And, like, he found several cases where it met all of the criteria. So, like... 
I'm I'm a little more on the fence about the coyness thing. I mean, like ultimately, I still think Mueller was the adult in the room in the most part for the most part yeah. of all of this, and that like his report is historically significant. I think that it's been poorly covered too. Like, I think there should be more people out there saying this report pretty clearly finds impeachable evidence of or sorry, finds evidence of impeachable activities that like, even though Mueller says, I don't think that I could prove this in court. Mueller, I think is clearly saying I do think there is good reason to think that these are substantial, substantially immoral behaviors that need to have been addressed and have. But not don't you? Th- but don't you think that the chess game he was playing there, and the reason why he would do that was purely because of the Justice Department's directive that a sitting president can't be indicted? Yes, I, I mean it's tricky, like. You could accuse him of being politically naive and thinking that it would still get managed properly if he didn't at least push it a little bit harder. But it is it is a very tricky situation and we'll see what happens. And like, you know, I think we have to hope that um, Democrats in the House will continue to push it. We'll see what happens with the subpoenaing of Trump's um, tax returns and the yeah. unredacted files and the like at this point Barr is now signaling that he might try to resist testifying so like yeah. i think it's going to get nastier i don't think this is going away um so well, i think I, the thing that would be amazing if this happened is if Mueller gets subpoenaed and is questioned publicly on in congress Mm-hmm. That is something I would fucking love to see. I think that would be the perfect opportunity for the person who is the expert in this whole mm-hmm. investigation to sit there publicly and be questioned by congressional people. I You're think hoping. that would be amazing. Yeah, no, I think that's an important thing. That is, and like, you know, I've come out and said that I'm pro impeachment, I think. But like, you could argue that the way that we should be pro impeachment is to begin with the subpoenaing with the, you know, these kind of interviews and say, look, we need to get more information on this. If it confirms this stuff even further then like, there's some reason for impeachment here. Um, So like, I I do think I'm hoping that some Democrats in, in the house are continuing to make progress on this. I know there are folks like, Pelosi and stuff who think that we should just let people decide next year in terms of the election. I think it's it's a bad idea to not continue to address this from an ethical perspective, from a prescriptive as well as a descriptive perspective. Like, yeah, you know, I don't think I, it's actually as dangerous as backfiring as people would suggest. Yeah, I, I think two things. One, I think Pelosi's response, if if the way that she talked to fucking children wasn't enough for people. I think this was the perfect reason why I personally didn't want her as the leader, as the Speaker of the House, was because I thought her response of like, well, mm-hmm. let's just move on from this. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Because I agree with you. I am very pro impeachment. Uh, and the thing that the conversation I don't want to have right now is, well, we should only do it if we think we're going to win, right? Th- that's something that people in Congress do both in the House and the Senate, of like, should we move forward with this bill? Well, we shouldn't move forward with this bill unless it's going to win. So they do all these things to 
do feelers to find out if it's going to pass or not. If it's not going to pass, then they definitely don't do it. And I think this is the kind of thing where like, let's do it and get everyone on everyone in Congress, or at least in the House, on the record with whether they are for or against impeachment. Mm-hmm. And I think that will that will be enough for me, even if it doesn't move forward. That would absolutely suck. And and if it moves forward and gets stomped in the House, or I'm sorry, in the Senate, I'm also fine with that as well. I just think it needs to fucking happen. Yeah. I mean, I agree, too, from an ethics perspective, obviously. Um, because you're an ethics professor. Because, because I mean, that's that's where I come from. I, I understand uh, the practical concerns. I do. Um, but I think, well, here's what I'll say, right? I feel vindicated in the sense that the the day that I thought that Trump had committed a crime was the day that he fired James Comey, which yeah. led which led to the Mueller investigation. Right. Like before all of the no collusion, no collusion. Right. What what I genuinely thought he had done wrong was attempt to obstruct investigations into him and his friends. And what we've learned from the Mueller report is he did exactly that. Like he obstructed justice into him and his friends. And he did so because he was afraid that they would uncover evidence of, you know, problematic behavior. Right. And that like the Trump tower, not not necessarily, not necessarily collusion with Russia, but clearly he was obstructing justice because of fear of being caught for something. Right. I mean, certainly, I think for tax fraud, we've now learned and as well as campaign campaign finance violations, as yep. well as, you know, knowing that his individual, I think, uh, who worked for him were involved in shady dealings, but also like on the quote unquote, no collusion issue. Right. Folks probably know by this point that Mueller explicitly said I wasn't answering the question of collusion because collusion is not a legal concept. Um, but yep. it did address the Trump Tower meeting, which was the other example that i have held out as saying this was clearly a crime like these people were clearly committing solicitation and what Mueller said was the only reason we can't try these people in court for solicitation is because they didn't know that they were breaking a law when they did it which Just like bullshit i mean like i understand the mens rea concept but i think reasonable human beings recognize that it's problematic that when a normal individual you know does a crime ignorance is not viewed as exculpatory but that when certain individuals at certain echelons of society commit a crime there's a different standard and i think that's deeply morally problematic but i think the truth is it was still solicitation like muller's arguments for why it was solicitation i think are some of the weaker parts of the report his his difficulty assessing the value, that kind of stuff, I think, is not the best kinds of arguments uh, from what I've heard from uh, other experts. But like mostly what I'm saying is I-, I think it was always true that Trump and the people around him did a variety of immoral things, some of which were effectively criminal, even if Mueller thinks he can't bring a case. If we no. ignore that then we are living in at least one of the worst possible timelines because it means we've said we all agree the president is a criminal and a hack and like a danger to society but we're just gonna ride it out because we're afraid of the political consequences of saying those words out loud in that order in front of voters yeah 
Yeah, the two things I have are one, there's some I can't remember. I, I remember learning it in like government class. There's some like Latin phrase that's like uh, ignorance of the law excuses no one or something like that. I mm-hmm. once knew it. I don't remember it anymore. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is like. It's baffling to me that if you take some of the things that Trump has said publicly in his rallies and just take the exact same words and put them in an email, it then becomes right. It it then meets the standard, but because it was said publicly, it doesn't. And that doesn't make any fucking sense to me. And, and Mueller acknowledged, I think at one point that like the, the situations where it looks like Trump was effectively witness tampering include both private and public cases. So I do think that like, the team leaned towards the conclusion that Trump's tweets count as witness tampering, which they absolutely fucking should. Like, there's just no, there's no way that committing crimes in public should make them less crimes. In this sense, like it, it like, and especially a fucking bar being out there saying, you know, Trump doesn't have a guilty mind because he's just angry about there being a investigation at all like no he's angry because he's at risk of being exposed to like narcissists are always angry because they're at risk of being exposed but that is not an excuse for committing crimes like that is not that is still a guilty mind because at some level trump knows he's committed crimes he knows it like yeah it's like it's like (laughs) let's say let's say that i get pulled over and the cops you know have a legal reason to search my car let's just say Right. Let and let's also say I absolutely have nothing in my car. I don't have drugs or a weapon or whatever. Right. But I actively like yell at the cop and put my hands on the cop. Like I would be breaking the law mm-hmm. by by like doing yeah. that. Uh-huh. So it doesn't matter whether there's something in the car or not. My actions are breaking the law. Yeah, bar is wrong that there doesn't need to be an underlying crime, even though there is an underlying crime here. Like the simple fact was Trump tried to obstruct the Flynn investigation by firing Comey and tried to obstruct the Mueller investigation by leaning on Jeff Sessions and by doing a bunch of other problematic things. So like that, that's why I think the investigation has to continue. And if it finds, you know, if Mueller comes to Congress and Congress asks Mueller you know, if this person had not been the president, would you have charged them with obstruction? And he says, yes, then there should be impeachment, you know, like, I mean, there should be impeachment just on the grounds of the Stormy Daniels thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's can't buy finance. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's fair. That's true. Cool. 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 We got this. I don't know about you guys, but I am definitely the best version of myself. Just a couple minutes and yet so much to cover. Because we want to talk about something, one of our favorite things, which is uh, social justice in video games. Wee! <laughs> Always a good way to get some uh, anger up, right? Like, so we're talking about oh, yeah. um, something that's near and dear to my heart in particular, which is the Mortal Kombat franchise. Where you, you were raised on Mortal Kombat too, I assume? I was more of a Street Fighter person because okay. Mortal Kombat was on Sega and I didn't have it. Okay, fair enough. But I played, I, but I played Street Fighter 2 in, in the arcades. I was I was a serious Mortal Kombat individual and, in you know, like Mortal Kombat one uh, going and seeing the first Mortal Kombat movie. And oh, like, yeah, I remember that, you know, like jamming out to the Mortal Kombat theme song at the end of the movie and like how, how influential that soundtrack was at that particular point in uh, 
our young ridiculous growth um and so but of course i look back and i'm like ish mortal kombat one of the examples one of the classic examples of like the problems with games and gamer culture especially from that time you have a lot of sort of scantily clad women um and a lot of other kind of ridiculous stuff and so this has recently come back into the news because of mortal kombat 11 which has come out and there are two separate stories of quote-unquote sjw run amok kind of issues with this story um the first one that i saw was the the gender one actually which is and i saw the jacks one so but yeah go ahead yeah so the gender one is a classic one for gaming folks they'll know this by now is like the the perennial complaint oh this game has less objectified women in it than it used to right mortal kombat used to be uh bigger boobs smaller costumes you know more no mercy right like like (laughs) fatality levels of objectification um and there is some complaint that like the female characters in the newer version aren't hot enough um one of the ones that i thought was the most ridiculous was uh shiva uh one of the she's a four-armed character by the way it's like a giant mutant creature and people are upset because she's she's done to look a little bit more in my opinion like like basically a half orc right if you're like a you know D or world of warcraft kind of person like she looks like a half orc um and like my personal response and I, you know i feel a little awkward in this conversation because you're like when you're talking about the the sexuality of female virtual characters right one part of me wants to be like on the no kink shaming side of you know, I would totally snoo snoo this individual like this. This is clearly not an unattractive individual like Brienne of Tarth kind of responses um, where the other side is just like, who the fuck cares that you can't jerk it to Mortal Kombat anymore? Yeah, that, we found this uh, um, forum thread in yeah. IGN where um, uh, someone posts this thing uh, that was like they made female characters ugly in MK11. And this guy was like, I'm sorry, you can't jerk into Mortal Kombat anymore, which is <laughs> so just fucking brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's what it, what's weird is that, like, in a lot of these cases, it's just they went from shitty old graphics to, like, substantially better graphics and made them look more realistic. And that freaked some people out. Because, again, like, I don't understand. It just looks like a fucking really hot half orc. Um, maybe maybe my preferences are just different. Um, and then, so yeah, you want to explain the other problem before we run out of time? Yeah. The other one was Jax's, um, uh, uh, ending is like, he basically like gets this power to do anything and he decides to make slavery not exist. Mm. Uh, it's his very like Wakanda E kind of ending, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting, but people have been losing their shit over. Yeah, I mean, it's so like we watched it before we we started and it's like it's ridiculously mild. It's like yeah. I control power and time, but like if I mess things up, it'll get much worse. So like I'll slightly nudge things so that it's better for everyone by again. Yeah, turning into Wakanda somehow <laughs> like that's the final shot looks like a shot from Black Panther. So, um, yeah, yeah. So again, super fucking ridiculous overreactions to and and what was ridiculous was i was doing background on this and as far as i can tell 
Jax is the only central canonical character who is black in this series. You know, like he wasn't in the first Mortal Kombat game for starters. There are no African-Americans in the first Mortal Kombat game. There is and two Asian people, I think, right? Three Asian people, maybe. And a couple of mm-hmm. monsters. And then you get Jax in the second one. Uh, and between now and then, there are, you know, between 20 and 60 new characters. And the closest someone could find in our uh, ETV Philosophers in Space group was uh, there's a demon character who's essentially one of the ninja-like scorpion uh, Sub-Zero characters who's done as black and white instead. Or like all black, yes. basically. Um, yep. But like not a black person but like a person who's just painted all black like it would be it would be closer to describe it as ninja blackface than to describe it as a black character <sighs> woof that's a big <laughs> pill to swallow uh, i wonder if it has to do with you know i read an article a while ago this is totally tangential we'll probably cut this out um of like uh, one of the reasons why a lot of really big blockbuster films often lacks black characters is because of the racism of uh, the Chinese market. Oh, uh, yeah. And I, wonder, and I wonder if this is also part of that. I don't know. That's an interesting question. Like, there's clearly some perverse incentive here, right? Because they would introduce more of these characters if there was more call for them, it seems like, or if there wasn't like substantial push against it but it is just it just seems absurd to me that he's you know it isn't like somebody described him as the you know the famous black character from mortal Kombat, and i'm like yeah he really is the only one well and let's also like just to put this in context the very first mortal Kombat, and a lot of people don't know this the very first mortal Kombat, which obviously first came out as an arcade game it was really really bloody and when it came out for sega genesis Mm -hmm. um a lot of uh, groups um uh, parenting groups didn't like how bloody it was so they removed the blood in that console game so and there was a cheat code in order to unlock that which Mm -hmm. very few people knew about so Mm -hmm. you know even the very first version did they start curbing some of the game uh, because of uh public demand yeah for sure and it's a you know it's a problem within gaming. There's like an ongoing problem, and like so. I mean, this is making the void livable. So I think the upshot is it is getting better in the sense that like despite these complaints from parts of the community, you are still seeing increasing representation overall in newer games, especially more indie games that have better representation in them. And as it, as with presidential candidates, I think it matters. I think it matters a lot because we want to bring. Um, female gamers into the community more because we want the community to grow because we want there to be more games and like they make it it makes for better games like I feel better that I can say I'm a gamer if I feel like the gaming community isn't toxic to large portions of the population yeah so yeah Yeah. here's to um hot half half works and uh changing the past so uh there's no state trying to find something else to jerk it to and trying to find yeah something on the internet i don't know what i'm gonna do i don't i just yeah i got nothing